It's Wednesday, August 4th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. A much-anticipated report from the New York State Attorney General Letitia James has found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed 11 women, nine of whom are current or former state employees, and one who was a New York State trooper assigned to his security detail. The report found that he made inappropriate comments to women and unwanted touching, groping, and kissing. In one case, Cuomo and his office even retaliated against a woman who spoke out about how she was treated by the governor. Calls have intensified for him to resign, but Cuomo has remained defiant and refuses to step down. Tom Winter, investigations correspondent at NBC News, joins us for What's in the Report. Next, a new study looking at the effects of children's exposure to Disney princesses shows that it isn't damaging. A debate has persisted that being exposed to the princess culture can negatively impact gender stereotypes in both boys and girls. The first phase of the study found that boys and girls with high engagement with Disney princesses were associated with more female stereotypical behavior. However, when researchers caught up with those kids five years later, the story wasn't the same. Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for the great princess debate. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. No elected official is above the law. The people of New York deserve better leadership in the governor's office. We continue to believe that the governor should resign. Joining us now is Tom Winter, investigations correspondent at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Good day. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. We got some big news. Uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, the investigation into his conduct, a five-month investigation done by the attorney general there, Letitia James, uh, it's a 165-page report that we got. It found that he sexually harassed 11 women, including employees in his office, and violated state and federal laws with all of this. You know, it doesn't look good for the governor there. Uh, Tom, tell us what we found out today. Well, I mean, I would say it definitely does not look good for the governor today. I think this report, given the two people that led the investigation, and I'm referring to June Kim and Ann Clark June, a, a former acting U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, well-respected federal prosecutor, somebody who's got uh, quite a history uh, as, a, uh, as an investigator, and, uh, and Ann Clark, who's a very respected sexual harassment attorney, somebody with real subject knowledge matter in this space, somebody who's um, uh, completely dialed into these issues, used to speaking with women, knows what to talk about and what questions to ask them, produced a report today uh, that is filled with details. What, what we expected that. What we didn't expect is 11 accusers. What we didn't expect is that uh, somebody who was involved, who was a doctor, um, who participated in a press conference with the governor, um, and she performed a live COVID-19 swab on the governor, uh, apparently uh, said afterwards, made a, made a joke of a uh, of an implied sexual nature, according to the report, and uh, and then told her, so, you know, nice to see you, doctor, you make that gown look good. So this just kind of lays out kind of a, a pattern in practice from the governor. I think one of the most troubling allegations here today uh, is the one that's raised by a New York State trooper on his protective detail. That involves unwanted touching. That's corroborated by other New York State troopers uh, it sure feels like a investigation that unveiled, according to the report, quite a pattern in practice of unwanted comments, touching, kissing, or all three of those. And on top of that, apparently 
really a toxic environment in a, an environment where retaliation was kind of par for the course. So it's definitely a tough report for the governor today. Yeah. And even creating that toxic work environment is against the law there in New York. I mean, if you're not reporting or investigating certain things that people have brought up, you know, you could be charged for that, uh, which leads me to the next part in going through the report and seeing what's going on. The attorney general there said that she wasn't going to press any charges on him. They let, she left it open. She said these are civil matters. So other people could bring lawsuits, but uh, she wasn't going to be doing it at that time. That's correct. So the governor, I mean, excuse me, the attorney general was not going to be bringing uh, forward uh, criminal charges here. But as Ian Clark said, when she spoke at the press conference, look, there's nothing that precludes a police department or a district attorney uh, from going through all of this and and asking for the information and uh, developing their own investigation just based on what you and I and a whole host of other people have read here today. And as a matter of fact, it appears that's what's happened. In Albany, there's a ongoing criminal investigation by the county district attorney there. And so I think that's something that we're going to watch. They've put out a a statement uh, today uh, discussing it uh, and saying, look, this is an investigation that we are we are going to look into. This is something that we've paid attention to. So that's kind of where I think this is going to be going. And it'll be interesting to see where this goes from a criminal standpoint. Federally, it's more of a civil issue has more to do with uh, civil rights charges as it relates to sexual harassment. Uh, we'll have to see what happens next. But at this point, this feels far from over. And that's right. before you get to the whole impeachment and political side of this. Right. Pretty soon after uh, the attorney general was speaking, Governor Cuomo came out in a video message, a prepared statement, and he defended himself. Obviously, he's been saying that he never really did anything to begin with. And he said, I might have made people uncomfortable, but, you know, I never harassed people. And he even kind of tried to portray himself as a, a protector of women in his statement. Well, that's right. I mean, he came out with this press conference that was uh, very slickly produced. Uh, it, include, uh, it included a number of pictures of the governor kissing and, and uh, hugging other people. He's put out in his 85-page response, 26 pages of which come from his attorney, another 26 pages of just him embracing and, and uh, uh, kissing or touching other politicians. He also includes pictures that are wholly unrelated to him, photos of, say, the president and vice president embracing. I think what makes this different is the picture that was at one point featured on the front page of the New York Times uh, involving one of the women who's referred to in this report. Um, the, the governor didn't know this woman in advance of uh, him meeting her. And at one point he puts his hand on both sides, his hands on both sides of her cheek and says, may I kiss you? And the woman's uh, look on her face is a pure horror. Right. So I think. And he chalks, you, it, he chalks you, it up to it's an Italian thing. This is what we do kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I know a lot of Italians, and, and they, the first thing they do when they you know see me is not just walk up and grab my cheeks and kiss me. So I think that's going to be that's going to be a challenge for the governor here to really explain this behavior. And I think that what we've just discussed really underlines his challenge here. And will the voters and the people of New York State buy that? Um, that's not up to me to decide as a reporter, but it is something that I think is is really going to be an issue going forward. As you mentioned, the investigator said that there was a pattern of behavior from the governor. If we could, if we can go through two more examples, I wanted to talk about executive assistant one, which seems to be pretty bad. And then also another one where uh, Lindsay Boylan, who said that she was retaliated against when she came forward with her, with her story. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, I think both of those instances are, are, are really, really powerful. And, and I think the retaliation this idea, and, and, and this was reported about, but 
but didn't receive maybe the attention that it deserved at the time is that they were circulating uh, an op-ed that would have gone out and attacked the claims made by this person. Um, they would have uh, uh, they would looked for her file, try to get her full file to determine uh, what she had done or what was in her background. I mean, th- these are th- those are pretty strong allegations uh, as far as retaliation, and I think that's an area where legally the governor could face some some trouble. Uh, perhaps other people in his in his administration as this criminal review is underway. So, you know, one of the things that everybody focused on when the attorney general was tasked with this report, and let's forget, let's not forget who tasked the attorney general with doing this. It, it was, it was in fact, the governor. Yeah, <laughs> right. it was the governor himself. Right. And they called for this independent review and said that they welcomed it and welcomed a final report. A final report is not in this by law. Uh, as a matter of fact, each week, <laughs> normally, uh, the attorney general would have to issue a weekly report to the governor. Now, in this case, they said, well, the governor's conduct himself is being looked at. So just skip all that and give us a public report at the end. That's how we got to today. Uh, but when you look at where this goes from here, one of the big questions was what other activity would they find when they started looking into these allegations? And then would they find that people in the governor's office did the wrong thing as it pertains to New York state law? some of which Andrew Cuomo signed himself in reporting this and, and doing the right thing as an employer. Right. And so I think when you look at this investigation going forward on the criminal side, that'll be an interesting place to see if there's any sort of criminal violation of state law. And of course, civil uh, suits that may be brought by some of the women here. Some of those cases, according to legal analysts we've spoken to, appear to be quite strong. Last thing on all of this, you mentioned the political aspect of this. Obviously, He's denying it. He's refusing to resign. The calls have intensified for him to resign. What do Democrats do out there? And even uh, President Biden, he had previously been asked, you know, should Governor Cuomo resign if the report comes out and it shows that he sexually harassed women? President Biden said yes already. So there's going to be a ton of pressure coming out on him. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're the governor, you have to wonder what are you going to do going forward? What's the mandate going forward? You know, previously he was able to kind of punt this down the line and said, look, let the attorney general do their work. Let these independent investigators do their work. I'm going to stay out of it. They should look at it. Then he started attacking the investigation, going after June Kim, uh, saying that he was biased. Now, June Kim did not bring charges against one of his former top deputies. That was another U.S. attorney, Preet Bharara. And while June Kim may have worked on the case, at the end of the day, a jury decided that that top deputy was guilty. So it's unclear where the bias comes from. It's not as if a case went bad or something bad happened. So you have the governor whose attacks here haven't really seemed to have landed. What's his mandate going forward after questions were raised, how he handled nursing home deaths? Some of that criticism appears to be warranted. And what's next for him? I mean, if the legislature doesn't want to work with him, if he's got Congress, all the congressional delegates from New York essentially saying he should resign, we don't want to work with him. What does that mean for the state? What does that mean for his constituents? So I think this raises a lot of questions about his ability to be effective going forward. It's very clear, as you suggested, in the way the governor uh, responded in his press conference and his report that he's issued today, uh, he shows no immediate signs of backing down uh, it does not appear to be on his heels, but I think going forward, um, well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where all this goes. Tom Winter, investigations correspondent at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. You got it. Having watched 
a lot of films that tend to portray these princesses as very, you know, thin and very feminine. But her findings surprised her when she went back to these kids. She found that they were, in fact, had more sort of egalitarian views about gender roles. Joining us now is Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the great Disney princess debate. A lot of people have been saying that too much exposure for boys and girls to kind of this uh, Disney princess culture, it could damage their sense of worth and negatively shape their view of how girls should act and all that. You know, the damsel in distress, you know, these uh, over-masculine men, things like that. But there's been a a study that uh, has kind of been ongoing, and it has two parts. The first part of it said, hey, yes, this is true. It does have an effect on them. The second part of the study done years later kind of reversed some of that thinking. So, Julie, help us walk through some of this debate. Yeah, there's been um, a debate among academics for many years as to how young children are affected by the gender portrayals, in, particularly in Disney princess films. And one researcher a few years ago interviewed preschoolers, um, and she kind of broke it out among preschoolers who are really heavily into the Disney princess films and who played a lot with Disney princess related toys and merchandise and others who are not. And what she found at that time was that these four and five-year-old children who were really into princesses at that time, a year later, they held more kind of stereotypical gender roles and stereotypical kind of views based on the way they played and answers to some questions. And that fueled a lot of headlines that kind of suggested that maybe uh, too much exposure to the storylines of some of the classic Disney films might be kind of entrenching these stereotypical gender roles and ideas in children. Um, But she followed up with those same kids five years later, um, and she said she was expecting to find that those same sort of stereotypical views about gender roles would, would still be present for those same kids who were really into the Disney princess culture. And she also expected that she might find Uh, that they would have negative body image associated with having watched a lot of films that tend to portray these princesses as very, you know, thin and very feminine. But her findings surprised her when she went back to these kids. She found that they were, in fact, had more sort of egalitarian views about gender roles at age 10 than they had um, when they were younger. And that actually they didn't really tend to have any negative body images. And in fact, some of the lower income children in the study um, were reporting a more positive body image. So uh, that that really kind of changed the outlook on the effect of uh, exposure to Disney princesses. Obviously, that's some good news, right? Uh, Overexposure to something like this isn't impacting them negatively. But there's other things at play, too. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the home life, how your parents are bringing you up is also going to shape stuff. I mean, it's not going to be you're just watching Disney princesses and this is going to shape your whole worldview. And the other thing, Disney has kind of gone through an evolution with their Disney princess characters as well. You know, they're a lot tougher, independent in more recent movies. So there's a lot of stuff at play as well. There is. And, you know, I think the the challenge with any sort of uh, study on the effect of media on on children or even adults for that matter is it's really hard to tease out what um, what is shaping someone's beliefs. Is it ever purely the TV shows or the films they watch or the video games they play, uh, the social media that they're following? Or is it all these other influences, their peers, their family? Um, So it's really hard to prove or show 
you know, causation and even correlation um, in some regards. So that, that's the real trick there. Um, but, you know, a lot of experts say that if you are going to watch uh, whatever it is, whether it's Disney films or something else with your children, um, it's, it's good to use that as a conversation starter and to point out if there are some, you know, uh, outdated sort of cultural norms that are portrayed in a film that you point those out to your children while you're watching with them. So they understand that that was a product of its time. And, you know, we're kind of at a different, you know, a different point of view now and that can help them still enjoy the film and for what it is, but also understand that um, some of the messaging in, in those films is, um, you know, maybe a little antiquated. Well, uh, some good news then on this study, but that debate continues. There's people that aren't believing it. They're still saying that long-term, this is not empowering for girls and that, uh, you know, obviously people also had some uh, issues with the study itself, saying the sample size wasn't big enough and it was, you know, narrowed down to a, a one geographic region, things like that. Exactly. So this isn't considered to be the end all be all of studies. There will continue to be research in this area. And there certainly were some limitations of this particular study. Like you said, the small sample size, you know, 87 percent of the children in it were white they were all from either Utah or Oregon. So how, you know, can you really apply those findings to a broader, more diverse population? Uh, so I think the, the debate will continue. Um, studies will continue in this area to try to understand and tease out these influences of the media that we're seeing. And, and to your earlier point, Disney for sure has been coming out with more and more films showing female characters in more independent roles that aren't, you know, waiting on a prince to come and save them. So, you know, there's that evolution going on as well. You spoke to a few parents for this article, and I'm sure you got a lot of comments, you know, to your piece as well. What have parents been saying to this study? Some parents said that they feel like this is this is good news, that it is a relief to see that maybe some of the influences that seem to be present when children were very young, you know, were outgrown by the time they, they got older, that, you know, kids have been able to develop their own independent thinking and um, you know, seeing the influences of their parents and their and their peers as they get older. Uh, I mean, I don't know, you know, too many people who are still wearing Disney princess costumes as adults, unless there's a cosplay or something. But, uh, you know, it's it's a phase, you know, little girls that tend to grow out of it, boys too, um, can be into it and grow out of that as well. And so um, I think that the takeaway is to maybe not, not worry too much as a parent, you know, kind of let... Uh, enjoy enjoy the films and uh, for what they are, um, but you know have have those critical conversations. I I talked to one mom who, you know, has been watching these these classic Disney films with her three children. Her, her little girl is four and kind of really in the throes of the Disney princess uh, phase. Uh, but she's got two older sons, ages ten and eleven, or ten and twelve, and you know she points out some of the gender related issues in these movies and. And they've taken notice too when they've when they've seen some of the movies. Um, so, uh, you know, I think a lot of parents just feel a little bit relieved right. that, you know, their their kids can enjoy the movies and and they don't have to worry yeah. too much. Well, as you said though, the debate rages on. There's people on both sides of this still, but so we'll keep watching to see if there's uh, any more uh, studies that come out of it. Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.